So, is God at work? I referenced the works of God a little bit in some comments and thoughts already, but is God at work? What would you say to that? How do you know? There are those in history, and perhaps still, I haven't studied into this a lot, but I know I've heard this of some of the founding fathers that believe that there is a deity and that he did things in the past, but now he's done working. Is that what you believe? How do you know that God is working? Is he working in your life? Turn with me to Psalm 111. Psalm 111. It's interesting how things work in our lives. Things happen and we remember some things and some things we forget. This is a psalm that had never stuck out to me, but a number of years ago, probably in the neighborhood of 10, Brother Dave used this as his devotional one Sunday morning, and this psalm has meant a lot to me ever since that. Our family worked to memorize it, and I've appreciated it much. I'd like to read this psalm at this time. Psalm 111. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and His righteousness endureth forever. He hath made His wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He hath given meat unto them that fear Him. He will ever be mindful of His covenant. He hath showed His people the power of His works, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. Notice though the references to the works of God here. Verse 7, The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. A call to praise the Lord because of his works. In verse 2, it says here that the works of the Lord are great and that those who have pleasure in them seek them out. Does that speak to you? Are you searching out? Are you seeing how God is working? Are you looking for ways that He is at work? There's reference here to remembering His works. Works in the past. Things that He has done for people you know, for humanity in general, and for you personally. Are you remembering His works? And are you observing now to see Him work? You know, my burden is that we would look for God's hand at work and then that we would share what He's doing with each other. 
Judges chapter 2, verses 7 to 13, is a very sobering passage. And we all know, I believe, this passage and, and what is implied here. I'd like to read that. Judges 2, verse 7 says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him. And down in verse 10, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods and the gods of the people that were around them, and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord. Why did these people forsake the Lord? Why did they turn their backs on God? How long was this since they that God had miraculously brought them out of the land of Egypt? Not a long time. A generation passed. Another generation passed. And it says that there arose a generation that knew not the Lord. And I don't know why everything that went into not knowing the Lord, but I believe the second half of that verse gives some more light that. It says, nor yet the works which he had done. For some reason there was a gap in the either the desire or the ability for these people to pass on their history. And in their history was God at work. It brought God from a deity out there to someone who was working for us as a nation. And they failed. And it begins that long and bumpy journey of the time of the judges. A number of years ago, Brother John Swartz preached a message here that I have often often thought of. And as I recall, in summary, it was a call to step out in faith so that we allow God to work. And the reason, the the burden of his, his message was, look at all the little people here. The young people. The children. What is going to encourage them to reach out and lay hold on a faith a faith in God that will bloom in their lives? Is it just coming to church and the routine of such things? Give God an opportunity to work. As we step out in faith, as we expose ourselves, as it were, as we get out of our comfort zone and allow God to do things for us, our faith can be strengthened and our children can experience God at work and develop faith in Him as well. You know, we all like to read the stories of George Mueller and some we've listened to of Mama Lillian and these missionaries. What did they do? What makes their story intriguing and exciting? What would you say? Was it not 
God's miraculous working in their behalf? Why did God work in their behalf? The places where we see God working the most amazingly are because these people got to the end of the rope. They had nothing in and of themselves that they could do more. They cried out to God in faith for provisions, for food, for protection. How often have any of us sat down at bedtime and prayed that God would give us something that we could have to eat in the morning. We're not there. At least I don't see anybody here that I know has been in that situation. And now we don't have to go to those lengths. We don't have to be in those circumstances for God to work. But can we can we see areas that God would do a work in our lives? And perhaps we can talk about these things together as a body and and encourage each other in making ourselves perhaps a bit vulnerable in faith for God's purpose and His glory. This past week, I had a lot that went in my ears and I hope a little bit of it stayed in my heart. I was out with Brother Ellis at a minister's discipleship time out in Ohio. And it was a time of inspiration and teaching and almost overwhelming. The Lord spoke to many needs in my heart and gave me a lot of things to consider. A blessing to be intensely in in, in a group of of brethren that were desiring to follow the Lord, not that you hear, but in, when you're sitting together for hours and hours each day, praying together and singing together and worshiping together. One of the sessions series was looking at God's working in calling out a people to Himself and why He did that. And I'm just going to look briefly at a few of a few of the thoughts from that here. In Genesis 12, we have God coming to Abraham. Genesis 12, it says, Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Calling Abraham, beginning that journey of a nation, a physical nation that would be a witness to the world of God working. God working. Working in the hearts and lives and the experiences of men. In Deuteronomy 32, Moses is speaking to the children of Israel kind of at the end of that book. In verse 4 it says, well, verse, verse 2, it says, Because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe ye greatness unto our God, 
He is the rock. His work is perfect, and all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. Setting God, doing His His workings are perfect. And thinking of this people that He was had called out, in verse 9 it says, For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the lot of His inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about and instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. God's love for his people. Turn to Psalm 78, if you would. This psalm is a psalm remembering the works of God in his people that he was calling out. Not only does not only does this psalm give the history of the children of Israel in their deliverance and their journey through the wilderness, but it brings some warnings out through that. Psalm 78, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. I didn't count, but that's a few generations there. That's a perpetuation of a story. A story of the works of God. And what's the point of this passing on this story? Verse 7, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And might not be as their fathers, their stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and, in, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in His law. They forgot His works and His wonders that He had showed them. You see the warning here. You see the encouragement, the admonition here to pass along what God is doing. For them, it was a miraculous deliverance from the Egyptians. What is it for you? Continuing here in verse 12. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the waters to stand as in heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against Him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. They tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God and said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, He smote the rock 
and waters gushed out, and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Maybe this is a little bit of warning here. These people did ask God to give them meat that they didn't need. He was providing for them, and they didn't recognize it. And they tested, they tempted God. So it's not just God asking to do things. Why do we ask Him to do them? Continue reading in verse 21. Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel because they believed not in God and trusted not in His salvation. Though He had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them the corn of heaven, man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven and by His power He brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust and feathered fowls like the sand of the sea and let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitations. So they did eat and they were filled for He gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust, but while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. For all this they sinned still and believed not his wondrous works. Therefore their days did he consume in vanity and their years in trouble. You know, I believe there it's referring to the spies went in and they came out and they said, oh, this is a wonderful land, but God will not be able to take us in. I believe that's there. They believed not for His wondrous works. They, they doubted. They questioned God's ability. And look what happened. Therefore, He consumed their days in vanity. They wandered until all the men of that generation died. Verse 34, when he slew them, then they sought him, and they returned and inquired after God. And they remembered that God was their rock, and the high God their redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues, for their heart was not right with him. Neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned his anger, he his anger away, and did not stir up all his wrath, for he remembered that they were but flesh a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yet they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day that he delivered them from the enemy, how he wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. I'm going to quit reading there. But a call to pass on the works, workings of God to our children. To make it known. And a solemn warning of what will happen if we do not. Remember and declare. In Exodus 19, God speaking to them there and he says in verse 4 you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles wings and brought you unto myself and he says I've chosen you you're my people I did all these things for you now just
And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. The people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount while he was receiving the full message from God. And they so quickly forgot. And they said, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. You know, I've, I find that interesting, what they said there. And I think it's a key. It says that we don't know what happened to that man that brought us up out of Egypt. Who brought them up out of Egypt? God did. Now, He used a man. He used Moses. He used Aaron. But they failed to see God at work. At some Somehow, they failed to see how God could work without Moses. They were so quickly blinded and hardened to the mighty workings of God. And they said, let's even go back. Go back into Egypt. The bondage. And here, God was with them. You know, at this point, I believe they still had a pillar of cloud and fire. And the question I would ask us is, do we ever get calloused or blinded to the presence and working of God? Think of what it would have been like to be one of those kings of the nations that they were passing through as they journeyed up toward Canaan. And you'd heard about this people. You'd heard that they had a God. You'd heard what he had done in Egypt, maybe to some of the, as, as time went to some of the kings along the way as they were making their, their way up there. I don't know how many times Sihon and Og are mentioned, but it's many, many in, in Scripture reminding them. But think if you would have been one of the kings or just someone there and had heard of this, this people and they were camped not too far away, and so you took a little hike, and you went up into a, a, a mountain that overlooked the valley of their camp, and you wanted to see this people. What made them different? And you saw everything laid out orderly, and it was all around this, this center structure, this rectangle out in the middle. And over top of that, there was this cloud. And you'd heard about this. That was the presence of God. That set these people apart. Would that not have caused some wonder and awe? And yet the people that were there did not grasp the significance of God's presence with them. As it said there in Psalm 78, they limited the Holy One. God was not able to work in their lives as He wanted to. And in Psalm 81, the last half of that psalm, it says, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would hearken unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto Him, but their time should have endured forever. 
He should have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey out of the rock, should I have satisfied thee. Oh, God wanted to fulfill His Word. He wanted to to give them much. He wanted to bless those people. Somewhere it it speaks that He wanted to to drive their enemies out before them in, in a miraculous way, but they... They turned their backs, they doubted, they didn't have faith, and he was not able to work because of the hardness of their hearts. I'll give you your homework now. Read Psalm 145. A call to praise the Lord, and if you look down through that psalm, Meditate on it. It's the acts, the works of God. The works of God. It ends up, My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. I probably should read it, but I'm going to hold off for right now. To think with you a little bit in First Peter chapter 2. We, th- we were thinking about Israel and their their place in God's program. They're calling out to to be a witness to the world through His working in their behalf. And in First Peter chapter two, we as believers are given our some of our assignment. In chap- in verse nine, it says, "But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar." a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And in that, I think we see summarized the purpose of the church, the broad overview, and that is to demonstrate the character of God, to show forth His praises, God has called us out of darkness into light. Is that a work of God? How many of you were walking in darkness? Is that a rhetorical question? I hope so because I didn't see any hands go up. We were all walking in darkness. And we've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. Is that a work of God? Is that a work of God that thrills your heart? Or are you just used to the fact that God loves you? That God has saved you? I'd like to look at just a few categories here that I see God at work in the past. I'll just mention them briefly. You read through Scripture over again and again, the mighty work of God in creation. In Genesis 2, it says, and on the seventh day, God ended His work that He had made. That is a work of God that many people today want to deny. They want to think of some other way that we are here. That is a work of God that we point our children back to. We point ourselves back to. God in creation. The mighty power that He demonstrated. Another aspect of that is in the preservation of things. 
All things, it says in Colossians, were created by Jesus. Not just the things visible, but the things invisible. And in verse 17 of chapter 1, it says, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And if you look up that word consist, the root looks very similar to the word sustain. Things are held up. Things are held together by God. Is that not a marvelous work? The preserving and sustaining power of God. And we just looked at how God worked in the children of Israel and how He miraculously delivered them and brought those plagues which forever settled that He is above any of the gods of the, of the nations there. Going on down into the New Testament, Jesus said in John five seventeen, He said, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Here we have Jesus as as that incarnate Son of God working with His Father. And we see that in, his, in the miracles that He performed. The work of God in a different dimension, a different light through His Son. And in verse 20 it says, For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth Him all things that He Himself doeth. And He will show Him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. The purpose of these works was to bring hearts to marvel, to humility before God. Further, we see the work, the mighty work of God in His resurrection power. In Ephesians 1, I'll just pick out two verses here. Verses 19 and 20. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe? Okay, I'm going to say that. That's what... The prayer here is that we can see God's mighty working in our lives and it's according to, verse 19, the end says, according to the working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in heavenly places. So that's the power that we see demonstrated in the life of Christ. And God says, like I did, I want to work in your heart. So that next category would be changes in the hearts of lives and people. The power of the, salva- of, the, of the message of salvation. And in, later on in Ephesians in chapter 3, another prayer for the church there. And it, verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Changes in the hearts and lives of people so that God's will may be done on earth. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Is God working? I 
don't know how many of you are looking at your clocks because I don't have a clock to see. But I pull one out of my pocket. We were challenged this week in another session on how our vision as people, our vision, our our purpose that we that we strive for grows out of our values. And as a church, the things that we do stem from what we want to do, stem from what we believe is important. And one of the things that the brother mentioned as critical, critical to passing on the values, and that is the power of stories. We have a lot of written stories. Generations past had a lot of oral tradition and oral stories. But it's stories, stories, stories of heroes, stories of people that we look up to. I mentioned a few earlier, the story of George Mueller and his prayer. How basic and fundamental it is that the stories that we tell exemplify the values that we hold. Because the stories we tell will bring about in our children and in those around us who we think are heroes. Is it stories about people? And we'll probably develop this thought much more later, but just to think about that in the context of God's mighty working. What stories do you tell? What stories do you think about? I had to think of the story here, well, it was one last evening. Judith was sitting down with a number of the younger children and reading them out of the Bible story book, the story of Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. Well, that's a tremendous story that exemplifies the value of holding to truth. Doing what God said, no matter what other people would say. And how his faith is rewarded and God's mighty power was exemplified. Also to think of the story of Paul, shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And that viper came out and he should have died. They all expected him to swell up and follow. God miraculously caused that viper to have no effect on him. And you know what the result was? People worshipped God. They started to worship Him, but I believe Paul put their met said, no, this is God. And it says many people were healed. There was a tremendous witness left there. I'll briefly tell you another story that is as I recall it, and I'm not going to say that it's all exactly according to details. Some of us study history more than others, and I haven't studied this period of history a lot, but in the Russian Revolution, you had the wealthy Mennonite farmers and and those that that had a lot of influence in the communities, and there was was animosity toward them, and and the peasant revolt actually came up, and and they were were fighting against these, or, or... trying to do them damage, and actually they were fighting against them because a number of these young Mennonites took up arms. 
And it was a sad time in the history of, of the church there because they were fighting to defend themselves. And that's often what we think about in that time. But there's a story in that time of a man named Aaron Rempel. And it was rough. They were under the occupation of this peasant army. And the story goes that he went down to the village to get some food, some groceries. They didn't have much to eat, and he was went down and filled his basket and was coming back up toward home, and it was dark, getting dark if it wasn't dark. And there was a railroad siding and a bunch of cars there. And as he was going by, he heard someone calling out, Hey there! Do you have any food? And in these cars, I believe they were cattle cars of some sort, but they were men. They were of the, the Red Army, the Russian Nationalist Army, that the peasant army had captured and were going to deport them up to Siberia. Well, this man could have turned his back and walked on. He had no reason to help them, except perhaps the working of God in his heart. And he went over, there was a hand outstretched, and he put the food that he had into hands along there. And he went home without the groceries. And what his wife said when he got home, we don't know. Things turned. The tide shifted, and eventually Aaron Rempel was deported to Siberia himself, along with many, many others there. Times were rough. They didn't have much to, to sustain them, but they also did not have a good source of, of hot drinks, and it's cold there. And somehow he was able to manage to make connections with outside of the country and imported tea and sold tea to make a little a little living. But if you're familiar with communism, that's called capitalism, and the, the sentence for that is death. And he was taken before the judge and tried to be tried, and he had the charges read, and he said, yes, I'm guilty, yes, I'm guilty. And he was about to be to be sent out, and the judge looked at him closely and said, Don't I know you? I, I, I don't know you. He said, I think I know you. Remember a cold, dark night back in the town and men in railroad cars? He said, I called for you to come over. He said, You did me a good turn. What do you want me to do for you? And he said, I, I don't know what all happened there, but it wasn't just, I would like to go be ex exported, sent out of the country. I want this person and this person and this person. Anyway, a whole group of people were sent to the United States out of that terrible situation. And it went from him being about to be executed to free. And the point of that story is there was a man that was faithful to his his conviction of loving his enemy. And because of that, God blessed him. He's a hero. Are there things, are there people that we see in our own lives right now? Are stories that we can tell?
what's God doing in your life? What mighty works is God doing? Do any of you have anything you'd like to share? Sometimes it's little things that our hearts can rejoice in the working. Sometimes it's big things. And sometimes it's things that if they would have gone the other way, God would still be good. But we see it as God's hand at work. We're blessed. I'll just share one other thing. Personally, the other day I was driving down the road in a vehicle that has a propensity to throw a, a fit and it'll just die. And depending on where that happens, that can be dangerous. And in the course of that trip of a couple hours, it did it three times. But each time, I was within about two to 500 feet of a pull-off. And when you're going back to Monterey and you're going up the curvy mountains and some places it's not so curvy and it's pretty tight, there aren't pull-offs. But it happened right where there was a pull-off. And it happened later, right where there was a pull-off. The third one was Dave's Lane. And, oh well, that, that just... And I told Brandon one the second time, I think I said, it, it, isn't, it, isn't it lucky? I said, God knows. God, God made, and I thank God for this. A little thing. But do we give glory to God? Have you felt my burden this morning? Can you be looking for opportunities? And I think we should be sharing together as we have opportunity. We should be looking. We need to be intentional. That was mentioned earlier about not putting our minds in neutral, but to think soberly. I think part of that thinking soberly is thinking about how God is working and wants to work and giving Him the glory that He is due.